Hello, and welcome to a scholarly meeting. I'm Hazel, one of your co-hosts, and today I'm with Dr. Yishen Ma. Um, Dr. Ma is an assistant professor of religion and ethics at Loma Linda University. Um, he received his bachelor's in music and pre-seminary studies from La Sierra University. And then he also pastored a church and then went on to serve in the Navy, actually, as a religious program specialist which is very interesting. After this, he went on to become a development director for the Adventist Peace Fellowship for two years while working on completing his master's in religion, ethics, and politics at the Claremont School of Theology. He took his gifts uh, to go and serve as the associate pastor of the LA Chinese Seventh-day Adventist Church, as well as as an adjunct professor of religion at La Sierra University in Loma Linda. So Dr. Ma, thank you so much for Thank you, Hazel, for your invitation. I'm absolutely honored to be here. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. I've been looking forward to this conversation, and I know that um, the topics that we'll talk about today are going to be very beneficial to people. Uh, today, what we're going to be um, having a conversation on topics such as Christian social ethics, um, spirituality, and especially political philosophy. And while our, our podcast uh, focuses on topics in philosophy and ethics, many of our listeners actually are not ethicists nor are they philosophers mm -hmm. so let's kind of start with um, some kind of background um, just setting a general framework um, for our listeners of what what exactly is Christian social ethics for someone mm -hmm. who's never taken an ethics or a philosophy course um, what is it all about why is it important and especially what makes it different from um, what what is the difference between a Christian version of a social ethic mm -hmm. versus let's say a secular or non-Christian version yeah, sure. You, you asked a lot of great questions there. <laughs> maybe we can tackle a couple of them first. Uh, mm -hmm. Just maybe help the listener understand a little bit about uh, what is ethics, right? Before Maybe before we talk about what is Christian social ethics, mm. uh, it may be helpful to understand what ethics is in the first place. Well, for me, um, you know, ethics is sometimes uh, contrasted with another related term, which is morality, huh. right? Uh, or even something called ethos or ethos. But for me, the way I make the distinction between those three words is that uh, morality and ethos have to do with uh, what we as individuals value, right? What are our personal values? Uh, what do we consider to be uh, right or correct conduct, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and ethos has to do with what the society takes to be its values mm -hmm. as well as uh, what it considers to be good ways for us to relate to each other, right? Um, but ethics is something that is a sort of a second order reflection on those things, right? So when we do ethics, we're actually thinking critically about what our personal moralities are and what our eth public ethos is, right? We're thinking about whether or not the values that we currently hold, right, as well as what we consider to be right conduct, are actually good for us, are actually the correct ideas uh, of how we should relate to each other, mm. right? Uh, may, whether or not we have the right values, right? For instance, um, you know, to, to give just a very obvious example, right? In, in, uh, in the United States, for instance, at one point, it was okay for people to consider another human being property, mm. right? That would be considered what is acceptable as a kind of public ethos or even people's personal moralities. Mm -hmm. But then when we think about ethics as reflecting on that, we ask the question, is it right for us to do so? Is, it, is our current way of 
uh, relating to each other or treating another human being as property, as a thing, is actually right, is ethical, right? So, so it's a second order reflection on that. So yeah. this second order reflection is kind of, it sounds to me like kind of mm -hmm. a combination of reflection on morality, but mm -hmm. also ethics. So like personal mm -hmm. uh, values of morality as well as yeah. societal values as well. That's correct, yeah. And I think those two are very much related to each other, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we learn our personal values and uh, value system or right behavior from not only our family, I mean, not only the people who immediately influence us like extended family or uh, social institutions like churches, but also our society as well. Uh, so I think inevitably at some point when we're reflecting on our own personal moral convictions, we're going to have to uh, come into contact with what we call is our public ethics or public ethos or public philosophy, in other words. So we understand now what ethics is. So where does the social part come mm -hmm. into that? Yeah, so, so social ethics is uh, a, a discipline within ethics where we kind of zoom in a little bit on uh, issues that have to do with society, how we relate to each other uh, interpersonally, as well as how we relate to each other at the communal level. Mm -hmm. Uh, as well as asking questions about what are the rules and norms that govern some of our basic uh, social institutions, such as um, the court system, criminal justice system, mm. hospital systems, uh, uh, you know, uh, welfare systems, and uh, just kind of different types of basic social institutions, political institutions like uh, representation and, and Congress and so on. Uh, what are some of the norms and values that are governing how these institutions are functioning? Uh, and what are their impacts on everyday citizens like mm -hmm. you and I, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so social, social ethics is a discipline of ethics that asks critical questions about those kinds of larger macro questions, mm -hmm. macro institutions, or mm -hmm. sometimes called mezzo institutions as well, uh, kind of community institutions, civil society institutions. Yeah. That sounds like a very broad mm -hmm. and very yeah. important and necessary <laughs> field um, yeah. to go into. So let's kind of uh, delve a little bit more specific into the Christian part of it. So what mm -hmm. makes, um, a, 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 I guess, a branch or a body of social um, ethics Christian? What are mm -hmm. some of the like pillars or building blocks of a Christian social ethic? Yeah, so that's a great question because, uh, you know, there, there's actually some debate uh, in, within the field of Christian ethics about the precise nature of what it means to do Christian ethics, right? What does it mean when we add the label Christian mm -hmm. to the, just the study of ethics, right? Um, well, we, there's a couple of things we can say about that. I think uh, one way is to simply think about what are some of the unique uh, sources of moral values, right, as well as moral knowledge that Christians might have that we can then bring to bear on some of those issues that concern the field of ethics as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some of those sources? Well, uh, in traditional uh, Christian theology, I think it's true for ethics as well. There's usually, you know, uh, commonly considered four sources, right? Uh, we have scripture, the mm -hmm. Bible, right? Uh, we have reason, which mm -hmm. is our critical faculties, our intelligence. Uh, we have experience, right? How uh, our experience can also teach us important things about our moral values. Um, and sometimes we can make use of tradition as well. And that sometimes mm -hmm. is considered controversial 
But I think tradition is nothing more than just what other Christians have thought about some of these issues. So if we look at the whole history of Christianity, uh, thousands of years of history, 2,000 years, we go all the way from patristic period to, you know, Augustine as a, as a Christian thinker to Aquinas in the mid- Middle Ages to Luther Calvin in the uh, Reformation period, uh, even the Anabaptist tradition, right? We draw from all of those different lines of uh, how Christians have reflected on moral questions, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Christian ethics is unique in that it digs into those sources, right? That we look at scripture. Uh, the kinds of questions that Bible raises uh, on issues of ethical import, as well as uh, using the sources that comes from the venerable tradition of Christianity, many uh, intellectual giants in the history of Christianity who have made tremendous contributions, right? Like uh, Augustine and Aquinas, who have uh, said many important things about our uh, political life together uh, that continues to be influential today. Yeah. And I think so that's one of the reasons why I think uh, there is a role for Christians to study ethics as Christians because we have these unique sources that we might be drawing on. Yeah. So in all of your, in all the years that you've been studying um, Christian social ethics and, and these kind of topics, how have you found it to be practically applicable? So let's, you know, mm-hmm. kind of set... Um, create a reason for people to be interested in this conversation so what are what are the ways that you found that it's it's been applicable for you maybe in daily life in Mm -hmm. your career in your profession etc yeah so so actually you know hazel that's a great question one of the reasons why i get into i got into ethics is because i find it to be uh perhaps one of the most practical of all the intellectual (laughs) disciplines uh, in the humanities and i think one of the reasons is that ethics is not something only the experts do, right? It's not something that only academics do. In fact, everybody at some point in their lives, or maybe even every day, uh, we are making ethical decisions, right? We're deciding what to eat, we're deciding whether or not to turn on the lights or for how long, uh, or maybe we're thinking about environmental issues there, right? Or maybe we're deciding where to send our kids to school, uh, and then when we're deciding that, we're thinking about what are the values we want to instill in our children, right? And maybe we're thinking about uh, what career to go into, right? What, what are my uh, personal values that is informing that decision? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're uh, going to vote. Uh, yeah. We're thinking about what are some of the public issues uh, that we should think about and uh, make an informed decision on. And in order to do any of those things that I just mentioned, right, or even uh, in the healthcare institutions, as you know, raises all kinds of ethical questions on a daily basis uh, as clinicians and as patients. Uh, so I think ethics is basically uh, supremely practical. It's very practical <laughs> in that sense. But in another sense, it's also uh, maybe not as practical in the sense that we usually use that word practical, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, in a lot of ways, I think our society currently has, I, I would say something like a pragmatist bias, right? So everything is only anything is valuable insofar as it can help us accomplish some goal, right? There's a kind of a utilitarian consideration yeah. there. Uh, if it's going to make me a lot of money, is it going to solve uh, problems, <laughs> yes, right? <yes. laughs> is, it, is it going to advance technology? Well, in that sense, then studying ethics is not going to give us those things, right? We're not going to study ethics, become billionaires by studying it. I hope that's the case. <laughs> that would be uh, nice. That would be really nice, right? Uh, 
But I think uh, there's value in studying ethics precisely because human beings are not only driven by pragmatic concerns, mm -hmm. we also are driven by values, right? Mm -hmm. We have uh, yeah. moral convictions. We not only want to live in a society that is technologically advanced and wealthy, but we also want to live uh, in an equitable society yes. where there is justice, there is fairness, right, to, for everyone. So I think then in that case, human interests uh, shouldn't be reduced to pragmatic concerns, but also uh, should consider uh, issues and, and uh, questions raised by uh, what are our values. That in, in this sense, then I think it's very practical, but maybe it's not usually taken to be practical yeah. in, the, in the sense of pragmatism. And I think also that makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. even, I guess, thinking about it in the general way that we're used to thinking mm -hmm. about practicality, it mm -hmm. does help inform, I feel like it helps drive civilizations mm -hmm. forward in a sense, and that is an end I feel like that can be, um, that can be gained, that people yeah. can look forward to. Um, so let's yeah, kind of try to uh, switch gears a little okay. bit or like delve deeper into this conversation because I know that um, one of your areas of uh, interest and expertise Right. is um you know and social justice issues mm -hmm. and economic um justice and things yeah. like that so um can you help us kind of like just uh get started in this conversation and maybe flesh out flesh out a little bit yeah. um what the difference is between social and economic justice and mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. just help us get a basic understanding of the two and their relationships to each other yeah sure so you know social justice seems to be a word that is uh, used a lot in <laughs> yeah. public discourse today. Yes. Uh, you, it's kind of become one of those terms where you either uh, have warm feelings towards it <laughs> yes, or you know. have a profound visceral uh, <laughs> resentment against it, right? Depending on where you are on so many of these issues. Uh, but I think that's kind of an unfortunate development in our time, mm. right? Because justice issues has always been... Uh, I think everyone's concerned. Yes. It's not just the issue related to, say, you know, in our society, the left and right division on mm -hmm. these issues. Everybody at some, in some way or another cares about justice, right? Um, and I think uh, the, what we lose by making social justice a term which has become politicized is that we don't ask the more interesting question, mm. which is, you know, what is your conception of justice? What is informing how you uh, judge or evaluate what's happening in our society, right? There is libertarian justice. There is, you know, there are nihilists who don't believe there's any morality or there are social contract theories who have a particular conception of justice. There are uh, people who are Kantians, there are people who are utilitarians, uh, who have very different understanding of what justice requires, right? So I think the more interesting conversation would be to ask, uh, what are some of the conceptions of justice that are informing our public deliberation mm. on the issues that we all care about, rather than making justice an issue that is like a property of the political left or political right, you know, whatever <laughs> yes, it is, right? Yes. Um, it's it's more interesting for me to let's let's deliberate on what is informing how we make those decisions and judgments. So that's that's how, what I would say, and that's what well, that's what justice is, right? It has to do with how do we organize our uh, the basic structure of our society, the courts, the the uh, representation. Uh, how do we regulate the distribution of of, of things that we produce as a society, right? Uh, how do we 
create opportunities for people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what does equity require of us in terms of racial justice, right? In terms of how we divide up the energies of our society, like the budget, for instance. Mm -hmm. the president, every president has a budget, and the budget is always a moral document in that sense. Mm -hmm. It tells us what the priorities are of a particular administration, right? Uh, so those are all issues of justice that we should think about. Wow. Uh, but what is economic justice? Well, economic justice is kind of a subset of issues within the larger concern of justice that has to do with um, questions that are raised by our economic relationship with each other, right? So uh, one of the biggest problems perhaps we're facing as a society is the worsening situation of inequality, right? Mm -hmm. of, of all sorts, right? Yeah. And among the different kinds of disparities and inequalities we can have, is the inequality of wealth, income, right? Which also has uh, real huge relationships to do with uh, health disparities that yeah. we see in our society, right? Uh, as well as class differences and status differences. Those are all important issues that have in one way or another to do with economics, right? Because our social status, our income, uh, our ability to, unfortunately today, to influence political decisions uh, are to a large extent uh, dependent on our economic status within yeah. our society. And so that I think that uh, that situation raises unique challenges that I think uh, social ethicists, uh, as well as people who, who care about justice in general, shouldn't shy away from thinking critically about. Yeah. So what would you say to people who, um, because like you were mm -hmm. saying, this whole idea of social justice has kind of become something of like a loaded language or yeah. just something that's like triggering right. um, either be it due to misunderstanding mm -hmm. or uh, misrepresentation whatever it may be so what, yeah. what would you say to people who uh, maybe have a, like you're saying like a visceral mm -hmm. negative reaction <laughs> to yeah. the term social justice right, um, right how would you encourage them to maybe perhaps like rephrase it or think about it differently yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the reasons why social justice has become such a polarizing term uh, is that it has been associated with only certain positions, right, mm -hmm. uh, on the political spectrum, whereas, say, perhaps people on the political left are using social justice more often than other people, although that's not the case, right? I know a lot of people who are on both sides of the political spectrum who care deeply about social justice, mm -hmm. uh, but they actually just have different conceptions of justice, uh. what justice requires, right? Uh, so I think that that is the problem. The way I would uh, try to, you know, at least in, my, in the classrooms when I have a chance to teach issues that has to do with uh, justice, mm -hmm. is that I invite the students uh, to look at a particular issue, right? And then I try to uh, invite them to articulate why they think a certain thing is wrong or right, right? And then I say, you know, what are, what are the underlying assumptions about justice that is informing those judgments? And you, you know this well. You're it's one so of my funny. Yeah, yeah. You've actually, <laughs> I've been a victim. <laughs> You've been a victim of that uh, pedagogy. Yes, so. and, it's, and it's actually a very mm -hmm. helpful mm -hmm. way to think about it because ultimately it's like it pushes you to think mm -hmm. about why do you think that this is important? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that this is necessary in a society mm -hmm. why do you think that this is something that is foundational yeah. and it kind of helps you like um, it, it helped me put mm -hmm. you know language to what I believed mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but it also kind of helps you it, it's in a weird way helps you see that we 
oddly enough, all want similar things. Right, right. <laughs> so it's a very, yeah. yeah, no, I can definitely personally speak to that. That is a very, <laughs> very, very useful way to teach it. Well, that's very, very validating <laughs> to know. Thank you, Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kind of uh, go into more specifics. Mm -hmm. So um, typically in conversations like this, um, we begin with the assumption that people who live in a society together owe some kind of duty or obligation to one another. Uh, and this is usually understood to be in an attempt to mm -hmm. achieve something known as the common good. Right. So let's talk about this idea of the common mm -hmm. good, about what it is and yeah. how it can inform our thinking in general. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the common good... Uh, in my opinion, in my view, is probably, I think, one of the most uh, important ideas uh, in social ethics that we need to reclaim. Um, not only as Christians, but as, uh, you know, uh, citizens in a democratic society, right? Uh, and why do I think that? Well, let's talk a little bit about what, the, what I mean by the common good, because sometimes this is another one of those terms where people often invoke, mm -hmm. uh, but it's never really clear what people really mean by this. So this is why I spend quite a lot of time studying uh, what the common good is and what does it mean, right? So, so for me, it's an uh, extremely helpful concept uh, because first and foremost, you know, if we want to trace this idea back, I think it, we can probably trace it back to Aristotle, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the basic ideas uh, that comes from the Aristotelian tradition of thinking about uh, social ethics or, or political ethics is that human beings are first and foremost uh, social animals, right? Mm -hmm. And by that, uh, Aristotle didn't just mean that people like to go to parties or something <laughs> like that, that we're just social. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that we are social animals because, uh, one, we are interdependent, yeah. right? we only flourish best when we are in community with one another, right? When we live in society with one another. And, and what that means is that then uh, our individual flourishing as, you know, our, our flourishing as individual citizens or members of our community is intimately tied with the flourishing of other people. Mm. And so, so, but then what is the common good saying? Well, it's not just that we're interdependent because that seems pretty obvious, right? No, who's going to deny that? <laughs> I think uh, common good also refers to uh, basically what is shared among us that makes mm -hmm. our common flourishing possible. And what that thing is, the common good refers to is really society, mm -hmm. right? Uh, to put it in the terms of contemporary, perhaps political uh, language or political philosophy is that the social contract is necessary, right? for each of us to flourish as individuals, right? So community is the background condition that makes it makes all of us uh, be the best that we can be, right? Imagine being a musician or being a great basketball player without any audience to play for or mm -hmm. to share your talents with, right? That wouldn't make for a very fulfilling life, right? Um, imagine yourself uh, living as, a, say, a religious minority Right, with the majority in your community practicing a different religion, and where your religious rights are not protected by institutions, both legal as well as, say, law enforcement, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so every time you go out, you're at risk of uh, getting, uh, you know, having violence done to you, being a victim of violence due to, uh, say, uh, prejudice of, mm -hmm. of all kinds. 
that wouldn't make for a very flourishing life, right? Yeah. Or imagine living in a place where you, you, you don't have uh, respect for each other's uh, autonomy and rights, uh, where institutions don't act on the basis of fairness, then a lot of people's flourishing will be undermined, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that is to say that uh, from this tradition of the, the common good as a moral philosophy, political philosophy, we have to underscore the importance of our society, which give rise to, which is, you know, the basis that gives everyone the ability to flourish and to develop their capacities and talents. And so on the other hand of that equation then is the moral concept that each of us have the obligation or duty to make sure that the institutions of our society, social and political institutions, actually serves to benefit everyone who is part of that society, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because we recognize that we are indebted to society. I think this is one thing that we don't always talk about in yeah. our public discourse. We talk a lot about people's uh, work hard and efforts, <laughs> right? Yes. We, we hear a lot about people's talent. Uh, we talk about uh, you know, people are self-made, right? Another people common... pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that language, while it's it's great in the sense that they celebrate people's talents and efforts and people's resilience, which is important. Which is important. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we must not also forget to like because that language of being self-made can obscure the other side of the equation. Namely, that our flourishing to a large extent depends on our society, our community, our family, our social institutions, which enables us. So one of the things, striking things about our international uh, justice and uh, opportunity structure is we know that your geography, your zip code, yeah. your where you are born uh, are huge determinants of whether or not you are healthy, you are successful, right? So, and that I think underscores this idea that uh, human beings very much depend on social institutions in order to flourish. And that understanding gives us a sense of uh, indebtedness, right? Mm -hmm. A sense of being, uh, having gratitude for the institutions that makes it possible for me to mm -hmm. flourish. And he also calls us then, on the other hand, to feel the moral and civic obligation to want to uh, engage in public uh, issues. Uh, in order to try to make society a better place for everyone else. So I think that would be the moral notion underlying the idea of common good. Yeah. You know, two things that came to mind for me while you were speaking. Um, one, you did you mentioned the social mm -hmm. contract. So mm -hmm. um, we don't have to go into that too much, mm -hmm. but just kind of like um, talk a little bit about how exactly does the social contract play into mm -hmm. the idea of the yeah. common good? Um, yeah. And then the second thing that came to my mind also was I remember in class uh, mm -hmm. where we were talking, we had, I don't remember exactly what it was we were mm -hmm. talking about, but I think we were talking about one of um, John Rawls' theories. Right, right. And uh, one of our classmates had mentioned how um, sometimes even just the fact that society places a value on some good or service that mm -hmm. you provide, mm -hmm. that is what makes it valuable, you know, for people who may right. not even believe that they owe anything to society or that right. they owe anything to people. Like, right. We ultimately owe everything that, may, maybe not even everything, but a lot of mm -hmm. our who we are, what we do, what we become to yeah. the, society, the society and the communities that we're in. Yeah. So that, that's interesting because that, that takes us into a discussion of uh, something that is very important in political philosophy, which is the role of luck and faith and fortune hmm. on our, uh, our individual success and outcome, right? 
Uh, and I think this is very much related to the, the common good notion that we're indebted uh, to our society, to other people. Um, so one of the things that, uh, that I think John Rawls talks really well about is this idea that from the moral point of view, if you want to think moral, uh, morally about some of these issues, ethically about these issues, mm -hmm. is that um, a lot of times when people talk about, uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, people are self-made, they, you know, work hard for, mm -hmm. so they deserve what they got, right? So the issue is what do you deserve, mm -hmm. right? He gives a very interesting answer, right? He says that, you know, from the moral point of view, it's not very, always clear uh, what do we truly deserve. Hmm. Because one of the assumptions that, uh, say, perhaps people from the more libertarian political tradition would say is that, uh, you know, we should get what we contribute, right? Yeah. right? We should, we should uh, reap what we sow. Yeah. But Rawls says that it's an interesting idea, but none of us live apart from a society. Mm -hmm. And so that we don't really know what we would actually reap if we were not in society, right? So then that thought experiment, you know, mm -hmm. usually very popular among social contract uh, philosophers, uh, such as Thomas Hobbes, about the state of nature, where we exist as individuals <laughs> first before we enter into a social contract with other people. Uh, which begs the question, you know, why do we enter into social contract in the first place? Mm -hmm. But then I think from the Rawlsian as well as the Aristotelian tradition, the assumption is that we already live in society, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's, it's almost impossible for us to conceive of life apart from society. For instance, the language we speak, right? Mm. Uh, something as basic as that, we learned yeah. from the society. Our value system that guides our behavior, it's coming from our society, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, something as simple as computer, that we use every day comes from decades of research, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's produced by people who no longer live, right? So we are a kind of, we always enter into life already indebted to other people who comes before us, mm -hmm. right? And so then uh, I, I think that it complicates this idea that we always have to sow, reap what we sow, mm -hmm. uh, because our cooperation with each other in society and the benefits that we get from that is in a lot of ways uh, hard to evaluate. It's almost, you know, in a lot of ways, it's, it's yeah, it's, you can't calculate that. It's kind of like a quality where you're unable to give a quantifiable number, right, to what each person deserves. So in that, in that sense, then, yeah, uh, so Rawls doesn't really put a lot of emphasis in his political philosophy on trying to give everyone exactly what they deserve, even though he does give a role, for instance, people who are talented and people who work really hard should be able to benefit from those things. While at the same time, this is the other side of the coin, right? Recognizing that we do have civic obligations to make sure that other people who may not be as talented as we are, right? People who uh, even our drive, our ambition sometimes is cultivated in our family's yeah. uh, situations. Uh, we need to recognize that those people also deserve a fair chance in life. And it's not only to, to, to rise to the level of being a great doctor or something <laughs> like that, but also be able to live a decent life as equal citizens in a democratic society. And I think some of that moral idea and ideal has been lost in our time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so just, so what exactly is the social contract? Is it something mm -hmm. that you know, someone listening to this can decide like, you know, oh, I do not want to do this mm -hmm. anymore. I would like to opt out of this um, yeah. whole idea of a <laughs> mm -hmm. social contract theory. Right. Yeah. 
So I think that's one of the uh, perhaps misleading things about uh, for calling a society the result of a contract, right? So mm-hmm. I think usually when we think of a contract, we're thinking of an economic arrangement where yeah. you you pay T-Mobile a certain <laughs> mo- amount of money, soul. right? You sell your soul, and they provide a particular service, and when the uh, Bene- when the arrangement is mutually beneficial, you continue to have that arrangement. And the moment that you find something unsatisfactory or you feel like, okay, I want to do something else, mm-hmm. then you dissolve that contract. You go to some other carrier. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to Verizon or something like that, right? Uh, so, But I think the social contract tradition, there, some, some uh, part of the tradition conceives a society co- more or less like an economic arrangement. Okay. But I think that's not exactly right. As Rawls mm-hmm. has said, that we don't really choose to enter into society, right? So we yeah. already live in society. So the contract is more like a thought experiment that 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 is he uses this um, idea, uh, which is famous in his uh, what's called the original position, uh, uh, where he, he comes up with that in order to use as a heuristic device to try to figure out what would be the uh, rules of justice, what would be the uh, the principles that will govern our basic institution society to make sure that uh, our institutions treat everyone fairly and mm-hmm. gives everyone a fair chance of flourishing as citizens, right? So I think the contract tradition has value insofar as it kind of uh, gives us the idea that in order for society to be just, it has to work to the benefit of everyone, mm-hmm. right? So in that sense, there's there's some connotation of that preserved in a contractual arrangement, right? Mm-hmm. Namely, that it does have to benefit everyone. Otherwise, it's not a good contract. Yeah. So he kind of uses that as a sort of a, a, a heuristic uh, thought experiment okay. to try to help us understand uh, how do we treat each other fairly and justly, even though we never were in that situation yeah. where we come together on the table, <laughs> abandoned on an island, trying to sign the contract yeah. to enter into society. No, it's not that at all. So mm-hmm. I think that's, to me, that's a better way of understanding the social contract than to say that society is just purely a kind of voluntary contractual arrangement where as soon as things don't work out for you, you just leave. You just opt but, out, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's more of a way of saying that um, if we're all going to be in society with mm-hmm. each other, uh, which we are, which we don't have a choice in that matter. So yeah. th- these are some things that in society are important. These mm-hmm. are some things that in society like are foundational or necessary in order for all of us to thrive mm-hmm. or at least be able to leave, live a, a decent life. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So going back to this um conversation about the common good a little mm-hmm. bit so it ideally is something that everyone in society would benefit from right right uh realistically though is this actually the case is it something that when it is enacted as it should be right. or as it is right now is that something that everyone uh, would benefit from yeah so so that is pre- that is exactly what raises the justice question right mm-hmm. i think you're you're really just uh, getting to the the essence of the question uh if we have this idea of the common good and then we look at our society and we find that lots of people are in fact not treated fairly or not really mm-hmm. benefiting from this arrangement uh, then we have a reason to cre- uh, morally critique uh, mm-hmm. what the current arrangement is so i think that, that question is precisely, uh, uh, I mean, th- that situation is what raises the moral question, the ethical question, that ethicists and, you know, 
political philosophers of all stripes try to uh, come up with some answers, okay. right? We, we try to evaluate the situation, trying to find out what is wrong with the situation. What are, what are some of the institutional mechanisms that are keeping people from benefiting from this social, social mm-hmm. arrangement? And then try to make, uh, even if it's not like uh, policy recommendations, mm-hmm. at least give us some moral guidance on how to look for the best policy. Like principles. Yeah, exactly, right? So it may be like, you know, uh, for instance, we have right now, empirically speaking, a shrinking middle class. You know, mm-hmm. so working class people in this country, uh, according to many public health studies, have suffered um, for decades uh, yeah. because of how the economy has developed in the United States and elsewhere. And so then there is a decline in their health uh, and longevity and mortality, mm-hmm. in, in rise in their mortality rate. Uh, because of inability to find a job, inability mm-hmm. to have a dignified existence. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's the empirical situation we're looking at as, as ethicists, well, let's look at what are some of the ways we can... We, we, we first have, okay, this is wrong. This is yeah. not right. Some people benefit quite a lot from this economic arrangement, while others people are left, left behind. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, that's morally wrong because social contract doesn't really jive with that, right? Um, and then we try to see, okay, what are some of the policy solutions that is on the table right could, mm-hmm. well maybe universal basic income or it could be wage subsidies minimum wage whatever it is mm-hmm. right we can name a plethora of solutions people put on the table and then we have to use our best judgment yeah. to come up with the best solutions for these issues so to moral philosophy in itself does not necessarily give us like uh you know doesn't point us to just one policy mm. right solution but is it, it does give us the tools to be able to begin to evaluate which of those policy options are ethical so this yeah. all it sounds like this it sounds like a great thing mm-hmm. when we're all in agreement right on what the common good is or right. when we're all in agreement on what would benefit everyone in society but yeah. what happens when people have different conceptions of what constitutes the common good right. or when people are concerned about you know um their free their individual freedoms being encroached upon right. or other people benefiting from you know their hard work or from their efforts like what happens when yeah. we have that kind of situation yeah so so that problem is in a lot of ways uh, so the disagreements at different levels there mm-hmm. there are disagreements on the conception of justice mm-hmm. uh, what we consider to be just or unjust can be very different depending yeah. on your understanding of what justice requires and then there's the you know another level where we might agree on justice uh, issues, but we don't agree with the solutions. Yeah. Right? Uh, for instance, you know, just talk about the historically fraught debate of healthcare in this country. Right? Anyone you ask will say, "Let's have better access," but then everybody has a different idea what that entails, what that means. Yes. So then there's also the practical dimension of disagreements there. And then today, I think the complications is even worse because we have we're adding now a third level which was always there before, but I think it's becoming more and more uh, public, is that we don't agree on the information, on the facts, uh, on the reality. Oh, that that's, the that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, so now we're actually disagreeing at three levels, not just two levels, not just on the conceptual level of ethics. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not only just disagreeing on, on the solutions and the practical applications of these, but also disagree on what's actually happening. And if that's happening, we have a very corrosive environment for our yeah. democracy, right? It just makes it impossible for us to have a rational conversation about so many of these issues, right? So I would say that will be, those three things will be impediments to um, 
achieving justice in our society, especially in a democratic society mm -hmm. where justice to a large extent depends on the participation of average everyday citizens. Yeah. Right? Uh, so those, those three things I see are the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and so how do we deal with that? Well, you know, information wise, you know, we have to talk about, you know, this here, here's another issue in social ethics we think about is uh, we recently came up uh, is social media, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is it really helping or is it hurting democracy, right? So we can't just think about social media as a great innovation. Like if you if you think about this issue purely from the pragmatic sort of, uh, you know, economic mm -hmm. realm, well, it's a great product. People make a lot of money from it. It is. Right. And it gets people what they want. They want to be liked mm -hmm. on the click uh, of the Validation. button. Validation. Validation. <laughs> right? So it seems to be everyone gets what they want. However, what's not raised, if we're only thinking about that in that at that narrow level, is it, what is it doing to our society? What is uh, it doing to our our political deliberation on these issues it seems to trap everyone in thought bubbles that they yeah. can't seem to get yeah. out of. Uh, so, so there's that level of, of conversation we must have, right? And then at the level of uh, conception of justice, I think we need to have more conversations about that, right? Yeah. I think uh, we need to get people to really think about and articulate what is their conception of justice. Mm. As you said before, it may be the fact that many of us actually agree on what should be done, even if we disagree on how to go about right, it. Yeah, how to go about it, or even the reverse, we can disagree on our conception of justice, mm -hmm. but then we agree on what should be done, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. for instance, you know, universal basic income yeah. is something that usually uh, that recently came on to the public scene mm -hmm. as a as a as a kind of policy proposal, mm -hmm. right? Because of the presidential yeah. uh, primaries, and you know that. Universal basic income, there are people on both the left and right, for instance, defending that uh, policy proposal, right? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting thing, the example where you have people who completely disagree yeah. on conceptions of justice, but they agree on what a solution should be, right? Yeah. And then conversely, you can also have situations where people uh, disagree on the solution, but actually are on the same side in terms of uh, agreeing what the policy. So then the, the solution for that then is to just ha to have more deliberation, more right? Yeah. Uh, to be clear about what it is that we want, to be able to, to think rationally and to speak rationally uh, about some of these things, taking everybody's cons try to trying to identify with uh, people's problems as mm -hmm. much as we can i think part of the what undermined our public culture as well not just social media is that we've become too reliant on experts right mm. i think we, we mm. see some of that um resentment against expertise yes. in our society i think <laughs> comes from that is that average people are told you're not smart enough mm. to engage in public discussions about uh, issues of public import and so then you know, experts, economists, uh, financial people, mm -hmm. and doctors should run the world, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that's an unfortunate development, that too. That is unfortunate. Right? Uh, in fact, we should try to encourage people to participate in public discussions. Yeah. But then that's also hard, right? Uh, it requires, uh, it requires, it's an art, right? Yes. <laughs> it requires <laughs> us to have certain uh, skills. And this is why I think here Aristotle's uh, tradition of the common good is, is why it's so important here. Yeah. Because it talks about the civic virtues, right? What are some of the moral character, uh, moral characteristics and skills we must learn as citizens in order for democracy to be a well-functioning democracy? That means that in schools, bringing up children, 
we need to teach people how to have these kinds of conversations, yes. right? To to be publicly engaged, yes. to be socially conscious. Otherwise, you know, this is never going to be mm-hmm. solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think education is a huge part of mm-hmm. it. It's not. It's um, even when you take a philosophy class in school, it's not something that you just learn as part of like any regular old philosophy mm-hmm. curriculum. Right. And and I, I don't even think that you necessarily have to be educated to have those conversations because while the language of it might be a little complex, but there are fundamental basic things that I feel that everyone can, you know, connect mm-hmm. to and share their ideas about. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, I think I do, I do uh, fully, totally agree with you. Yeah, I think part of the reason why we think that, uh, you know, we can't have discussions is because we are specialized in mm-hmm. our knowledge, right? And in that in that way, there's a yeah. kind of unhealthy tendency to make our fields more and more technical. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that something in the field is driving that. Definitely not. You've read philosophy books, right? Yeah. And you're like reading algebra uh, formulas. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, well, do, is that really necessary? Right? Right, exactly, yeah. Uh, you know, there is a way of communicating with each other that can be clear and compelling. Yeah. And I think we just, we, you know, we need to relearn how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody just becomes more and more niched and specialized mm-hmm. to the point where we just can't talk to each other anymore. And right. it hurts our, it just, it hurts overall. I feel like it hurts society. It hurts our communication because mm-hmm. we can't, we can't agree on anything if we're not even talking about the same thing, if we're not even understanding or using each other's languages. Exactly. So that's, yeah, that's definitely key. So, so let's kind of wrap up a little bit um, sure. on our conversation because we've talked about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to, I guess, t- uh, try to uh, close off our discussion for today, would you maybe be able to share with some of our listeners what have some of your major insights that mm-hmm. just as a person, um, as a professor, a scholar, what are some of the major insights that you've gained um, just into life um, and yourself uh, in studying mm. these uh, fields and ideas of justice and social ethics and political philosophy. <laughs> I know it's very yeah. broad, <laughs> but just what is the thing that just comes to your mind um, the most? Yeah, no problem. Since we've already solved the problem of the world by now, you know, <laughs> why not indulge in <laughs> not a very deep and excellent question about life in general? <laughs> You know, yeah, so, you know, one of the things that draws me to uh, moral and political philosophy is I've always, um, I've always, in one way or another, asked the question of how do you live well? How do you live Mm. a good life, right? I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe my autobiography or growing up uh, that instilled that question in me that I just have this existential need to, Mm. to ask those kinds of questions, right? I... I wonder every day, you know, how do I live well today? How do I, what do I need to do today? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, studying political philosophy and moral philosophy, one of the things that it helped me understand is that uh, it's not healthy to want to be a perfectionist, huh. you know, right? Um, yeah. it, you're right? <laughs> uh, wow, yes. It's not healthy to want to be perfect. It is a good, it's, it's a good striving and ideal to want to be moral. But it's not healthy to be want to be perfect, right? Yeah. To do no wrong. Uh, it's bad for your mental health and it's bad for 
relationships because I think sometimes the strive for perfectionism can create a kind of arrogant attitude vis-a-vis -vis other people. Wow. And so lead, which leads to the second thing that learning about moral philosophy uh, teach taught me. And I think this is what I learned from Immanuel Kant, who says that knowing the moral requirements should also uh, bring out a sense of humility, right? Wow, because yes. we know that how much, how far we have fallen short of our best selves or mm. our potential. So then if we're if we know how far we fall short and all the factors that goes into shaping who we are, how do we behave? We should also extend the same uh, graciousness to other people yes. who uh, are also struggling in their own life. And I, I truly believe that most people are trying to do their best on a daily basis, yes. right? Even the people we find unsavory yeah. or unlikable, I know they're still trying to do their best given what they know and what they can do, right? So I think there's a kind of humility that is needed. And then thirdly, which relates back to our conversation earlier, is the importance of gratitude. Importance of gratitude. Uh, that we are indebted to family, to friends, to institutions, to society, to our uh, you know people who had died before us mm -hmm. to give us the things that we have today. Uh, and then which calls us then to pay that forward to try to build a better society uh, a more equitable society for everyone uh, especially those who are most vulnerable in our society and i think that's very much in line with my christian faith which is um, jesus uh, very much following the he the tradition of the hebrew prophets right of the uh, hebrew bible um, where where they speak up for the voiceless yes. and Jesus is, is advocating on behalf of the poor and healing uh, the blind and uh, condemning people who would swindle uh, widows, right? And uh, condemning an unjust system that excludes other people. And I think uh, to be a Christian is to then, if we really follow the injunction of Jesus, which is to love other people, then I think loving other people naturally leads to our concern for societal issues, right? Because so much of what makes life painful and makes us suffering is decided at the social level, societal level. Social determinants of health basically tells us that much. I think that is one of the greatest contributions studies in public health and social determinants of health have contributed to ethical reflection. It's just that how much social forces uh, shape and determine uh, our life's prospects and outcomes. And I think that should give us a sense of gratitude and humility for those of us who are privileged enough to be able to live a good life, right? But also a sense of responsibility. And so, and the sense of responsibility for us to make sure the same can happen for people who are less privileged. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Ma. That was a great conversation, as I knew that it would be. <laughs> I'm really glad that you agreed to join us on today's episode. Mm -hmm. um, and. I look forward to, you know, um, future classes together, and I would love to invite our listeners to join us on our next episode of a scholarly meeting. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Ma. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs>